Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You know him on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Trey. You know him from the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Uh, you know him as a host and analyst on Pro Football Focus, Trevor Sikama, Tampa Bay Trey. What's up, buddy? Nick, it is always good to be with you, my man. Appreciate you having me back on. I uh, I, I don't know if I can take credit for this, but it is is the fact that I've had both you and Alyssa, your now fiance, on the air. Do, do you think that that played into the success of your relationship? Oh, I mean, you know, we tell people all the time that that that's the cornerstone. You know, when people ask and and tell us to tell the story of our relationship, I mean, that's one of the first things that we got to bring up because you're right. Without you. I mean, we wouldn't be here, and that's just that. Well, I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn. Uh, Trey, we were just <laughs> we were just talking about DJ Moore's comments on, on Ben McAdoo's offense versus Joe Brady. If we go back, you and I travel back in a DeLorean two years ago. Uh, hiring Joe Brady versus having uh, Teddy Bridgewater signed to a three-year contract, which deal or which decision do you think was more detrimental to the – Matt Rule era getting off on the right foot? You know, it's a really interesting question when you pose it that way because both you could say, okay, they didn't exactly work to the ceiling, but I think it's probably Brady over Bridgewater because even if Teddy Bridgewater didn't get you exactly where you wanted to go, it, it, it's not like Bridgewater was disappointing from what people kind of believed that he was as a quarterback, especially coming into the situation. So the, the Brady, the Joe Brady thing, I think that. Certainly, the hype for it got very out of control after the LSU season. And, you know, we're seeing what Joe Burrow and what Jamar Chase together are able to do without Joe Brady, right? And so you kind of wondered when you watched that LSU team, well, was Brady the pass game coordinator, who wasn't even the offense coordinator, by the way, right? we got to remember that. Was he hyped as this young pass game coordinator? By Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all of those guys were successful at LSU. And and that just it didn't end up being the case. We're seeing right now that those guys are doing all right without Joe Brady. So I guess I've got to think that the Brady move, and I'll just say the expectations with it, probably the unrealistic expectations with it, were big reasons why Carolina's fans or expectations were a little bit further along than they probably should have been. So Honestly, if you look at things, like you said, if we take a time machine, if we look at things in hindsight, the move itself wasn't a bad move. You're taking a chance on a guy who's a young offensive coordinator. You're going, okay, maybe this guy's the next big thing. And Carolina was in the spot to be able to do that. It just didn't pan out. And unfortunately, the expectations were so high with it. There was so much success with him coming from LSU that everybody thought, oh, this is a shoe-in, right? This guy's going to be our next great offensive play caller that I think that's actually where the big damage came from and a lot of why you see a lot of negative connotations around what's going on in the decision-making and second-guessing and all that kind of stuff. So the move, I actually, I didn't really hate either move for where Carolina was at, but the fact that the Joe Brady one didn't work out, I think that one stings more, if you will. So I think this leads me to my next point and my next question because it's, it's, it's funny to me that people say from a franchise quarterback to like a mid-quarterback, like a you know, uh, system quarterback, they see a huge difference in production in the NFL. But then they don't do the same thing from like the 12th best quarterback to the 32nd best quarterback in the NFL. 
I kind of feel the same way, and we think the same way about offensive coordinators. So if Joe Brady wasn't ready to be an NFL offensive coordinator in this situation, how much of a difference going from that situation to Ben McAdoo should we expect offensively this year? Well, I think that you're, you know, there's so much that goes into success, right? So much goes into success, whether it's the continuity with the rest of the coaching staff or the front office, getting the players that you need in there. Once you get the players that you want, okay, are they panning out the right way? Are they learning things? Are they picking things up? Are they even taking that to new heights? All of these things go into what actually makes a play call a good play call, right? We, I think that fans, we have a bad tendency to think of this as madness. Right, that, that the offensive coordinator is sitting here with a controller in his hand, and if he just would have picked a different play, it all would have worked out. And that's just that's not the case. It, it, there's so many pieces that go into the pie of being a good offensive coordinator. But I will say this to the McAdoo point: you're not going to have to deal with the growing pains that Joe Brady clearly was going through when it comes to when to make certain calls and beyond when to make certain calls how to orchestrate them on the practice field. It's not just about what happens on Sunday. What happens on Sunday is successful because you have run through it on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, walkthroughs, full pads, shells, whatever it is. You have instilled confidence in your players because you have also done it so many times. You know that these things are going to work. And I think there was probably a rift between Joe Brady kind of going off of what was successful at LSU, kind of learning his own things on the fly that when you're doing that, I'm not saying that everybody can't learn every day. That's true. But when you don't have that kind of confidence that you're instilling in your players to be able to go out and make the executions, even when you call the right play, that makes you a play caller that is susceptible to being replaced and to have doubts and things like that. So with McAdoo, it's not even the one-and-one plays. There's a lot of football plays that are just throughout the league that have existed, guys, for the last 10, 20 years, right? There's innovation, and there's a little bit sure, but the baseline of how to call offenses, a lot of it is the same. It's about executing it. It's about doing it in a timely manner. And the most important part as a coach is it's instilling that confidence. So no matter what play call you call, they're ready to execute it the way that they need to. It's not like there's only one play that's going to work in one instance every time. There's many. But it's that kind of work as an offensive coordinator that I think McAdoo's going to be able to do a little bit better here for Carolina than Joe Brady was able to. Trevor Sikama of the Draft Exchange podcast. By the way, you can find that everywhere. You can find your podcast on the guest line here talking about the Carolina Panthers situation. Uh, all right. So if, if Tampa Bay is one of the elite teams left, your Buccaneers, I should say, very angrily should say, uh, if Tampa Bay is one of the elite teams left, how many potential – I know there are going to be seven playoff teams this year, but how many playoff-worthy teams truly are there in the NFC this year? So I think certainly Tampa is one of them. You have to you have to pencil them in. I think the Packers, look, you know, they've still got uh, Matt LaFleur. They still have the back-to-back reigning MVP in Aaron Rodgers. As long as he is still there, they are in contention, no doubt about it. You've got to be able to say the Rams bringing back most of what they brought back, Super Bowl champions, they're going to be in it, even though there might be a little bit of regression. Some people don't have too much confidence. But honestly, outside of those three, I mean, I'm trying to look at other teams. You know, the Saints are shaky, obviously, with all the changes that they've had. I think Cardinals are going to take a big step back. What's Trey Lance going to be for the San Francisco 49ers? Vikings, okay, they've got some veterans in there, but a new head coach, new front office, a new way of doing things, that's always up for debate. 
Cowboys, I think I should throw in there probably as the number four because I have a lot of faith in Dak Prescott, and I do have faith in Kellen Moore as an offensive coordinator, and especially them retaining Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator. I think that they're pretty much a lock there, but no guarantees the Giants are going to be better, even with some guys getting healthy. The Eagles, yes, they made the playoffs last year. I know there's a lot of confidence there with them, but it really is about three or four teams that you go, okay, these are lock teams, if you will. I'll throw the Cowboys in there. And then it's anybody's game. I mean, we're talking about could the Washington football team really turn things around with the defense that we thought were going to be top five last year? Could Justin Fields take a massive lead for the Bears? But I think even stronger than that is the Lions case to potentially sneak in there as a playoff team to take a massive leap this year. And um, Of course, the Carolina fans I know are hoping that they're going to get the most out of their quarterback position and their young guys are going to turn it around, perhaps get themselves in a wild card contention. But that's the way I see it. There's no doubt about it, Nick, that things are much more competitive at the top in the AFC. But I guess if you're a Panthers fan listening to this, that means that uh, midway through the year, heck, even down the stretch, your Panthers might still have a chance to make the playoffs because it's a wide-open race for, like you mentioned, those fifth, sixth, and seventh spots. All right. This year, there's a plethora of of young quarterbacks, an interesting crop of guys who could be available in 2023. If I can give you any of the quarterbacks in college football, and you're an organization that probably isn't going to be good this year, who's the quarterback that you'd like to not be good for? Who's the quarterback you hope to have next year atop the draft? Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two because it's that time of the year I'm allowed to do that. So don't give me crap about it, Nick. Of course, you have to pick Bryce Young as one of them, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. And look, a lot of people, once we get to the NFL process, they're going to nitpick his size. And he is a smaller quarterback. And normally when you have smaller quarterbacks, you have to be elite athletes to navigate, get out of the pocket, really be able to extend plays. The Kyler Murray, for example. Bryce Young's not that kind of, I think, athlete with his legs. He's just an unbelievable playmaker. I mean, the accuracy that this guy has when his back is against the wall, that is that X-factor, intangible, clutch gene that you simply cannot teach. And you saw that time and time again with him last year. Hope we get to see another full year of that this year. But then the other one is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I'll tell you guys, I just got done with summer scouting a couple of weeks ago for the quarterback position, and I went into it thinking, all right, C.J. Stroud, all right, big arm, okay, I get it, but look at all the receivers he had to throw to. Look at the running backs. Look at the offensive line, right? This guy's just going to be a product of his system. He's going to be good, but he's not going to be great. Guys, I was dead wrong. I mean, this guy is so fantastic. The fundamentals are already so clean for such a young player. He's got a great arm that can hit for distance anywhere on the football field. He absolutely was a major part of why those great playmakers at Ohio State were able to rack up the staff they were. He was not just this point guard facilitator. He was a scorer. He was a star. And so those two quarterbacks, I think, are a good chance of going number one and number two in the draft upcoming. I know there's a lot of good defensive players, too, but those two guys I think are going to be franchise guys in the NFL. Any team needing a quarterback would be happy to get those two. Final one, uh, Trey. Who has better hair, you or Connor Rogers? You know what? But I'm growing my hair a little bit right now, so I look like an absolute wild man. It's probably been about four months since I got a haircut, but we're trying to do like the long hair thing going on right now. So I just saw him yesterday for our podcast. He's got a lot more trimmed up. I got to give it to him. He's a good looking dude. So I'll give him the crown. I'll be humble and I'll give him the crown right now, but uh, I'm coming for it once this hair actually gets out of the awkward stage. You are such a damn gentleman. Follow this man on Twitter at Tampa Bay. Trey, uh, Trevor, you're awesome, buddy. Really do appreciate you. And because I haven't been able to say it on air yet, 
Congrats on the engagement, buddy. You are two great people and great at what you do. We appreciate you both. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime.